are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Are they here? As your advisor, I feel compelled to communicate my hesitation about this meeting. Do you even know these men? We do not. So why even take a meeting with them? They are stargazers. They are Gentiles. These men have valuable information. We play our cards right. They will help us infinitely more than we can help ourselves. Send them in. Gentlemen, greetings. Welcome. Welcome. My staff tells me you've come a long way. This is true. We've come from the East. Is that right? And I trust your journeys have not been too difficult. They're like most journeys. Some good, some bad, but mostly long. (laughs) So tell me, as a man who doesn't do much journeying myself anymore, what is it that would inspire men such as yourself to undertake such a long trip. Well, as I'm sure you know, word has been spreading about the birth of a Messiah. We witnessed his star, and so we have come to worship him. Is that right? A new Messiah. I must admit, I feel a little silly. This is the first I'm hearing of this. It's said to be in a place called Bethlehem. Do you know where we could find this place? Lucky for you, Bethlehem is only about 10 miles away. 10 miles? Ah, that's such a relief. After so many miles, 10 seems just around the corner. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) I know you're eager to resume your journey and witness this new Messiah firsthand, but please, before you go, allow me to be a good host and offer you a drink. To the Messiah. To the new king. Would you do me a favor? Of course. Once you have found this new king, would you come back and tell me exactly where he is so that I might have the opportunity to go and worship him myself? Consider it done, King Herod.
safe travels. The king was cold and had dirt in his soul, but he listened to the man and the prophecies old. He was afraid for his kingdom, his wealth, his possession. He smiled in their faces, but he feared their premonition. He said, come back to the place when you found the new child, and I will worship him too. And then he just smiled. For Herod knew full well what he was becoming. He'd be the king who'd stop Jesus from coming. Herod is mentioned only two times in the New Testament, Matthew 2 and Luke 1.5. Both places are accounts of the birth of Jesus, but Luke 1.5 gives the timing of the birth narrative as in the days of Herod. But Matthew invests a bit more time into chapter 2 of his gospel to help introduce his readers to Herod. Historians have filled page after page of Herod's biography and accomplishments over the barbaric political and manipulative life that he lived. Herod was born in 73 BC to a family who had a habit of siding with the strong powers of the day. We know that Herod was a short man. They figured that he was four foot five, but he built huge things. Herod built cities. He built castles. He put in a massive addition onto the temple. He built the Masada, an ancient fortress built within rock that still stands to this day. We also know that Herod had a wicked temper. In fact, he was mad at his favorite wife and had her executed. He also was known to kill his sons because he feared that they would one day challenge him and take his throne. So I think it's fair to say that this guy was disturbed. This guy had a lust for power. It was told that when Herod was in his 70s and in poor health, that he started to think one day, you know what, when I die, nobody's going to mourn me because nobody likes me as king. So he sent out a decree, and he got 100 Jewish well-known men and had them captured. And then he made a decree that on his death that each one of these men would be executed so that somebody in the city would be mourning when he died. I think he had a problem. Jesus, a savior, a king was born, and this would cause Herod to lose sleep. This would poke and prod him to save and protect what he felt was his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Christmas story. And Lord, I just pray, God, as we get into your word this morning, God, that Lord, your word says that there's hidden jewels and gems. And Father, let us look at this like perhaps we never have before. I just pray, God, that we would grow as people in your word and that we would learn and understand what you're wanting to tell us. In Christ's mighty name we ask it. Amen. Matthew 22 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Uh, Matthew 2.2, 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, and we come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? If Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judea. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It was the days in the birth of Jesus that wise men were sent to worship the king. 
Now, our nativity scene shows us that there were three wise men who came, but the truth is we don't know the exact number. Biblical scholars feel that it would have been many. Imagine the stir that would have been in the city if all of a sudden hundreds, a caravan of people showed up, foreigners to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Probably three men would not have gone noticed, but a whole crew of people would have caused a stir within the city. Herod was an Edomite. Jacob had a brother Esau, if you remember. Jacob married and had 12 sons, which bore the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's brother Esau too had children. The Bible says in Genesis 36, 9, that Esau was the father of the Edomites. He gave birth to the Arab nations, and Herod would have been a descendant from Esau. So he was not the rightful heir of the throne because he was not Jewish. So receiving news of the birth of a Savior would have made him very nervous, for his kingdom was taken through deception and political strategies, not through being the rightful heir. So we have wise men who began this long journey from the east. They would have rode on camels or donkey, whichever it would have been an incredibly long journey. We think that the dicks have a long journey coming up at 24 hours on a plane. This would have made their trip look like microseconds. Have you wondered what made them follow the star? Like, why did they decide to follow a star? Did the star one day speak to them? Hey, follow me. I'm a star. And there's a Messiah at the other end of this rainbow. We, we know that's not possible. Did an angel show up and tell them, you know what, this is what you need to do? I don't, I don't think that, ha that happened. So why did they decide to follow a star? Well, almost 500 years prior, there was a man who lived in Babylon. In the Old Testament story, there was a man named, named Daniel. A young Jewish man named Daniel had been summoned by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to interpret the dreams of king was having. Daniel rightfully interpreted the dreams by the power of God, and to reward Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar promoted him within his kingdom. Daniel 2, verses 47 to 48 says, The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest God, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal the secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a huge position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all the wise men. See, Daniel was a believer. And Daniel was exiled to Babylon. And as he stepped up in favor, you know what? One of my life scriptures, one of the scriptures that I absolutely love is Psalms 512. The favor of God surrounds the righteous like a shield. And there may be times where all of a sudden you go somewhere, and I'm going to get into it a little bit later, but Daniel didn't want to be in Babylon. Daniel was praying, Lord, get me out of here. I don't like it here. I want to go home. Man, there may be days where, where their dicks will be like, get me home. It's too hot here, and I miss the snow. Like, like who knows? But as we walk in that place, every single one of us in this room will have opportunities where we're like, you know what, I just don't like this season very much. Lord, I feel like a grape in the wine press. I feel like I'm being squeezed. I feel like I'm being pulled. But yet, the Lord had a divine appointment for Daniel to be in this land. Daniel raised up. He taught the wise men. And as he taught the wise men, how, what did he teach them with? Scripture. He brought it with him. The king says, your God is the God. 
You're in charge of all the wise men, and they would have made the wise men learn things and write out Scripture and get to know what the Word of God said. Daniel was in charge. Daniel was a man who had a high position. He was a scholar. And there were others, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee. He thought he would have brought with them the Scriptures and they would have studied them. He would have taught them a prophecy which is found in the book of Numbers 24-17. I love this. It says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. Now, do you remember Jacob? Jacob had his name changed, didn't he? And what did he have his name changed to? Jacob means liar, thief, usurper, but the Lord changed it to Israel. A star will come out of Israel, and a scepter will be in his hand. Who holds a scepter? A king. A king will emerge from Israel. These wise men from the east got, the, got all this information from studying the word of God. And my friends, I believe today that the wisest of people are people who study the word of God. You know, we live in a busy society. We live in a place where we want things now, now, now. And it's amazing. Uh, Ernie and I were talking probably maybe two weeks ago at our staff meeting, because every staff meeting, we, we're going through the book of John right now, and we talk about, about what the Lord showed us. And, and, and he made this statement. He says, you know, I've read this so many times, but the Lord just brought this out and highlighted this. Have you ever had that? You read something over and over again, it's kind of like, oh, that's good. But then all of a sudden, you read it for the hundredth time, and the Lord reveals a hidden jewel and a hidden gem. You know what? As your pastor, it's so important for us to know the Word. Don't just wait for it on Sunday mornings. But be scholars and study the Word and teach your family about the Word because there's so much in there and there's personal things that the Lord wants to instruct you and your family on. There were Jewish exiles living in Babylon. They would have taught out, wrote scriptures that were dear to them, influencing generations of people with the Word of God. Daniel's heart was to leave Babylon since he was 15 years old, but the Lord kept Daniel there in a foreign land. Many scholars believe that the Lord told Daniel to stay in Babylon because later on in Daniel's life, a serious issued a decree releasing the Jews to return to their homeland, and Daniel didn't go. So these wise men came all the way for one reason, just to worship the Lord. What would that look like? You know, I know that it's important, and we have an amazing relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Lord wants us to petition him. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with kneeling before God and saying, God, I ask in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm struggling. I ask for a new mind. Lord, renew my mind. God, I want what you have for me for this season. But what would a Sunday morning look like if every single person in this room came with no other reason but to worship the Lord? Man, I, I have a feeling it would be a real special Sunday. I have a feeling that just something in the Spirit would just kind of click. And that when we come in into the presence of God, it would be just monumental. You know, there was a one of the great 
hymn writers of our generation, Matt Redman. And Matt Redman wrote years ago, maybe late 90s, he wrote a song that probably every one of us in this room have sang and worshiped God to. It's called The Heart of Worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. Do you know the story behind that song? See, the church was starting to become well-known because of Matt Redman and all these songs that he was writing and, and this kind of stuff, that the, the service turned into be a bit of a, about worship and, 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 and just a bit about this, this song explosion. And then one day the pastor says, you know what? I believe that our church is being highlighted because of worship and I'm shutting it down because I think our hearts are wrong. He says, we need to be able to worship God. And he says, and we don't, own, the, the, the only way that we do that is not through song. And we're going to just shut it down and have a prayer time every Sunday morning. Now, that makes no sense. Because you've got all these guests coming to hear these worship leaders like Matt Redman and some of these other guys that were in the church. And all of a sudden they get there. It's like, yeah, we're not singing. We're just going to pray. And this went on for months and months until one day in the service, Matt Redman just walked up to the piano and he just started playing and singing the heart of worship. And that just opened the door for the next level and brought back worship into the service where, where people just really said, you know what, this is what it's all about. It's not about the prestige. It's not about what people perceive when they come in here, whether they like the service, whether they don't like the service, whether they like the worship leader, whether they don't like the worship leader. It's all about you, God. And that it has to be our main, the explanation mark on the service. The Lord is so good. So the wise men come before Herod. Herod asked them, where is the Christ? And they respond, in Bethlehem and Judea. How did they know that? They knew that because they knew the scripture that is in Micah chapter 5, the prophecy of the coming king that would be born in Bethlehem. So Herod now knows there's a king in his backyard, a threat in his kingdom. And he tells them, go and find the baby. Let me know where he is so I too can go and worship. See, the wise men gave him the place. They gave him the prophecy, and yet Herod couldn't be bothered to send men or to go investigate it himself. I wonder if there's something there that we as believers can learn. I wonder in our lives if when there's something is happening in our own backyard that is just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you guys go check that out, then come back and tell me, I got stuff to do. I believe that we as believers can be guilty of the same thing. Revelations 22 says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Do we live our lives like Jesus is coming back soon? Do we live our lives that the truth of the matter is, is Jesus could be coming back today? I wonder what would change, if anything, if all of a sudden we says, you know what? We wake up in the morning and say, today is the day that Christ could be returning. Am I ready? Today is the day that Christ may be back. Is my family ready? What, do I, what, Lord, would change if all of a sudden you want me to be completely dedicated to what you have for me? I believe it's so easy to become complacent in the body of Christ and to get stuck in a rut. I heard a story 
from a man named Bob Davis, and I started chuckling to myself, because maybe I've found myself in that place before, talking about just being complacent. He talks about a story where he comes into church one day, and he's walking in the parking lot, and he stops, and he sees a cup on the ground that somebody had just discarded. And he looks at that cup, and as he's looking at that cup, he's like, man, someone just threw garbage on the ground. He starts to think, he goes, I wonder if I should pick it up. He says, well, the truth of the matter is it's windy. And if I just wait two minutes, it's just going to blow off the church parking lot into our neighbors, and it's not our problem anymore. And he just starts watching the cup to see if the wind starts to move it. And as that happens, another guy walks by, and he sees this guy looking at the cup, and he looks at the cup, and he bends down, and he picks up the cup. He says, that's the problem with Christians today. They're not servants. And then Bob's like, oh, oh man, busted. Then the guy says, oh, I need to repent. Bob's like, what are you talking about? He says, I just yelled at you for not being a servant of God, but I guess I wasn't really being a servant of God, was I? Because if I was, I wouldn't have said anything. I just would have picked the cup up and thrown it in the garbage. So I think my heart was wrong, and I need to ask your forgiveness. And Bob's like, well, I'm so glad that the Lord used my moment of pondering to bring conviction to your life to realize that you're at wrong. Do we do that? Do we stand in that place and just kind of be like, you know what? How should I really handle that? How should I really look at my day? What would your day look like if you knew that Jesus was coming back at 4 o'clock p.m. today? Would anything in your life change? So after the wise men told Herod that he now the new prophet, and now Herod knew the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, but he chose to do nothing about it. The Lord is coming back. We know the prophecy in Revelation 22. What are we doing about it? James 1, says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If I'm not a doer, I'm only fooling me. I can condemn everybody in the world of being lazy, but what is in my heart? What am I doing? Herod asked the wise men, when did they first see the star? Then he said, when you come back, tell me where he is so I can worship him too. Yet his plans were to kill him, to protect the throne that he lusted after. So they went and found the Lord, but he wasn't a baby in the manger anymore. He was a child in a house. Our manger scenes that we have set up on our front lawns and our manger scenes that we have set up on our little tables, the truth of the matter is the, shepherd, the wise men probably shouldn't even be in there. I'm so glad we don't have eggs because I'm sure you'd be throwing them. Get those, that's my wise men. They should be in there. But it was a long journey. And the Bible says in Matthew 2.11 that they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why would they give them those gifts? Gold was a gift that would be used for a king. Frankincense was a gift that was used for priests. Isn't that interesting? Because we did that whole series on Jesus being the king and the priest. And myrrh was a very strange gift. Myrrh was used at funerals for embalming bodies in representation of the death of Christ. That would be like you going to a baby, dedica a baby uh, 
shower and bringing a baby coffin. Here you go. Inappropriate. But yet the Lord ordained that to, to, because he knew the walk that Jesus had. So the wise men visit and worship the Savior and then leave a different way so that Herod would not be aware of the baby's whereabouts. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years of age and under, according to the timeline that was given to him by the wise men. That was a fulfillment of the scriptures that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's amazing how many prophecies came about with the birth of Christ. See, some people think that Jesus was a madman. Some people think that he was a good teacher. Some people think that he was a fraud. But the truth of the matter is, is all these prophecies that came true, there's no way a baby can predict or make where he's going to be born come into fruition to orchestrate that for the Messiah. We see God's hand through the whole life of Christ accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. Herod the madman went ballistic. He learned of the wise man's failure to report. He ordered to kill all the male children two years and under. That reeked of Pharaoh's orders to do the same to the Hebrew male babies in Egypt as recorded in Exodus 1-2. But just as God prepared a way for Moses to escape such a death sentence by the ruler who commanded that day, God prepared a way for Jesus to escape Herod's wrath. But nonetheless, much blood was shed and many tears were cried at this atrocity. See, the birth of Christ is something that we celebrate every year. However, the enemy, who's like a roaring lion, he killed many children to try to stop the birth of a Savior. There's another side of Christmas, and I think that we don't stop and think about it. For there would have been wailing in the land. And while that day of sadness happened, there was still hope in a Messiah who'd escaped during the night so that one day he could die on another appointed day, three decades in the future. On that day, Jesus once again would be called the King of Kings, the King, the King of the Jews. My friends, Christmas is always a weird time. And maybe as a pastor, you get to see things that maybe some other people don't. For some people, they just love Christmas, and it just seems like people are nicer during this season. People are, are kind. They're looking for opportunities to bless people. They're nice in shopping mall lines. They're, they're, they, 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 they let you into parking spots. They do whatever. There just seems to be a, a nice, kind sense of Christmas. But for others... It's difficult. And for others, there's many who don't even like Christmas because it reminds them of something. Or it brings up past woundings and past hurts. But the truth is, whether you're for Christmas, whether you're against Christmas, we can't stop Christmas from coming. Nor can we stop Christ from coming back again. Therefore, may we approach the Christ of Christmas the newborn king of the Jews, as the wise men chose to do on that first encounter with Jesus. May we worship him and bow down before him and offer him gifts that are worthy of the king of kings. My friends, 
there was a time that we had a bit of a family discussion, maybe about a year ago, about kind of closing down the coffee bar and during the service because we want to be a church that focuses on the main thing, that presses into the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage you again. You know what? Life can get busy. And life can become chaotic. And I don't want to be a pastor who sits up there and watches at the back to see who comes in late and who comes in early. Because I'm not Santa Claus who has a checklist to see who's been naughty and not who's been nice. But I want to encourage you again. Worship is just not a bunch of songs that we sing. And I've had different people say that to me. You know what? Like, I just can't wait for the word to come forward. Worship, I can take it or I can leave it, but the word is what is important. That's awesome. The word is important. But worship is so important. Worship prepares our hearts for what the word is. And when we understand that it's not just a song that we're releasing out in the atmosphere, it's not just something that's like, oh, hurry up, Ernie, and finish. But it's worship to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. It's something where we just stop in that moment and just say, God, you lifted me from the muck and mire. You placed my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. God, I was destined for an eternity separated from God. But Lord, you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And there's all kinds of things that take our focus in life off of what is really important. You know what? There's people in this room right now who are in pain. And when you're in pain and you're in pain for a long period of time, it's hard to think about what's good because that pain is nagging and a constant reminder of something that is not good. There are people in here who are emotionally stressed where it's just like, I am so done. Suicide is high in Cold Lake. And there's, this, there's a spirit of suicide that is a vile creature that has touched people in this room and said, your life is not worth it. But when there's a birth of a Savior, there's always hope. And I want you to know this morning that that is a lie from the pit of hell. You've been bought with a price. You are precious in the Lord's eyes. And whether you can see that right at this moment or not, the Bible tells us to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is a spirit that is called heaviness that wants to weigh us down and get our eyes off of what is important. If we can get our eyes off of the Savior, then all of a sudden we start to walk in a spirit of hopelessness and that is not what God has for us. There are tough times. There are times where, where we are that, that grape in the wine press, but we have to stand in that place and say, God, I don't know why this is happening right now, but I trust you. Because your word says that even what the enemy has meant for evil, that God will use for good. 
And Lord, I don't like where I am right now. I don't like what is happening, God. But Lord, I trust that you're bigger than this and that you're going to bring me through it. And there's a result on the other side, on the other side of praise that is freedom. So don't miss opportunities on Sunday mornings. Don't come in late, but come in early to say, God, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm ready to worship you. I'm ready to praise you because, God, you are everything. And I don't want to go a week without entering into that place and saying, Lord, I need you today. I need you at this very moment because, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. And God, if that's what I can do as a man, if that's what I can do as a woman, because, Lord, some days it's hard to raise my head some days it's difficult to raise my hands. But God, your word says to choose you this day who you will serve. And I'm going to choose to worship you. I'm going to choose to press on because I know, God, that even though Herod tried to destroy you, and even though there's plans and there's been purposes to, to stop the coming of a Savior, God, you made a way for me. And you are worthy of everything. In Jesus' name. This morning, I love the altar. And I love praying for people around the altar. But this morning... I really feel that today is different. And as Ernie leads us into that place of worship, I just ask that we just put our watches aside and we just press into the presence of God and say, Lord, may my life count. May my life, God, be a song to you. And this morning, the altar is open. If you just want to come up to the front and stand here and raise your hands before the King of Kings or kneel at the altar and just say, Lord, I want to make a new commitment to you this morning. Lord, I want to make that commitment that you are the Savior of the world. You are my Messiah. And Lord, I feel like I become lackadaisical in my life in the area of giving you my all. And Lord, I want to recommit that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen? Would you stand to your feet as we worship the Lord together? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.